I can't do that shit. Like, I'm terrible at math. <laughs> so they wouldn't take me. I couldn't get in. Like, my re- they were, like, rejecting me at the front door with my resume. I was like, dude, these are fucking college clubs. I'm like, I'm obsessed with business. I'm the man. And I had tried to get into these business frats, too, and they wouldn't take me. So it was almost like, it almost just felt easier to do my own thing than, like, try and do, try and do one of those established routes. Like, that's honestly how it felt. Welcome back to the Recess Podcast, the unfiltered podcast for aspiring entrepreneurs. Over the last few years, there's been this one Instagram account that I would always bookmark things from, and it was they would talk about all kinds of cool business strategies in a very engaging, entertaining way compared to like Wall Street Journal or some of those other traditional news horses. And yesterday, I'm at a party, and the guy behind the brand walks through the door, and I'm like, I got to pick his brain a little bit. So Michael Sakan, um, he's the creator of Our Future. You can check them out on Instagram, TikTok, other platforms as well. And earlier this year, I believe January... He sold his company to the Morning Brew, the media brand, and then also a Forbes 30 under 30. So a lot of wisdom and experience from Michael. Good to have you here today, man. Dude, thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I'd love to learn more about, you know, like how you guys started this podcast. Like essentially, like what was the belief that I just don't want to live a normal life? Like when did that happen for you guys that you wanted to be divergent thinkers and you wanted to like surround yourself with great conversations for people going against the grain? Well, I think I always had it like in the back of my mind. But not that I wanted to be different than anyone else, just like I wanted to be myself. And I thought that by being like everyone else, I could eventually be like myself because I thought like, oh, everyone else just thinks the same way I do, obviously. Like growing up, you think that. (laughs) And then you get farther and farther and you're like, oh, shit, like no one actually thinks the same way I do. And I'm like, yeah, okay, now I have to go away from what's normal or safe or whatever and like things that people tell you to follow or do yeah and on a more tactical level every two guys are like yo bro we should start a podcast and, yeah <laughs> and then jacob for my birthday actually bought me and himself a mic so we're like all right i guess we're all in now so that's a great birthday started, gift <laughs> it started a year ago so. one year i took all my boys to a warriors game and they got me a drone and inside the bot like the drone i was super fucking stoked like it was a dji phantom i was like no Dude, way i'm gonna fucking photo i'm gonna start a real estate drone business i'm gonna make hella bands <laughs> And then I reached into the box and it was a fucking fat dildo. Oh. <laughs> I took these guys to no. a Warriors game, bro. It was fun. Dude, dudes, dudes are savage. But <laughs> Good Lord. yeah, podcast, podcast Mike is the gift that keeps giving, bro. Mm-hmm. Call it this does. guy a modern day Santa Claus. It's like right the here. one thing. It's like the one thing where you just keep doing it. And it gets better and better every time. Yep. More exciting, more interesting because you get more and more interesting guests, cool people to talk to. You get better as your craft. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Evolution. And, and that's also like part of the reason we started. The main reasons was... We wanted to become better at articulating our thoughts and like codifying these ideas in our head out loud and then get the chance to meet some amazing people that are just building really cool stuff. And as a byproduct, yes, there's people who listen, people who reach out, but it's always been more of the internal drive for us. But awesome. how about for you? What's the story behind our future? How did you get started with that? Yeah, I mean, I started like you guys, right? Like I wanted to get into podcasting, like COVID hit and I was a great public speaker, like charismatic guy and I love business. So I was like the business nerd in high school and and college. Like all I wanted to do was talk about startups and business. Like I'd geek out on it. And I feel like every time I found myself in like a consuming conversation about business with an older individual, you know, maybe uh, one of my parents' friends, my my parents, uh, my buddies, like I just felt like I was in like my, my nirvana. Like I felt like I was playing my infinite game. And like, how do you professionalize the process of having a business conversation is doing a podcast, right? So my idea was like, okay, we have How I Built This by Guy Raz, right? Like mm-hmm. really, really good show, but I wanted to make it for Gen Z. So what I'd do is I'd interview some huge executives just by cold emailing them being like, hey, I'm this 15, uh, 20-year-old kid, uh, COVID hit, I want to keep my friends excited about business. And I ended up getting some big guests. I got CEOs and founders from companies like Chipotle, Spotify, Grubhub, Kayak, Quizlet, 
list goes on. I ended up doing 150 interviews in the span of a year and a half. Wow. And that was what set me off is how do I create a better source of business content and inspiration for my generation? Like, I love these things. Why don't I be the voice for my peers? And that was the inspiration. We ended up getting into short form video because the growth opportunity was a lot bigger at that time than I felt it was in podcasting. And I had a lot of challenges with discovery as any podcast does. Um, but I'm excited to be back in the game, being on more interviews and doing my own podcast myself now with Morning Brew. So it's pretty sweet. How's that transition from going from long form content to short form content? You know, it was almost, I almost felt like a whore, you know, it almost felt like I was taking off my clothes in the street and, you know, swinging my dick around, right? Because in short form, it's very, you know, vanity focused, you know, people, I had a small audience. I had, you know, maybe 500 to 800 episode uh, listeners on my pod and I had some huge guests. However, I just didn't feel like my voice was reaching the number of people that it deserved to. And when I got on short form and began formatting my content around virality and getting discovered, it was almost like a drug. It was like, there's nothing more addicting than putting out a video. Trying to, I'd put that shit away and I'd go on a run because I was so excited. And then I'd check back my phone, that shit would be viral. And I kept doing that. And that feeling was really, really euphoric. And yeah, it, you know, you're honestly, you know, riding the, the, the treadmill, right? The attention economy treadmill, mm-hmm. right? Which isn't always the best place to be. But for me, the views and the feeling of being kind of seen by the world and you know, just blowing my face and my voice up was a really addicting experience. And it's what drove me to take it so far beyond what most creators do. What are some of the things that were different when you were doing long form content versus short form? Yeah, I mean, I was still like still looking at it through the same perspective of short form. So I take an hour long interview and like I'd fucking sauce that shit up, dude. Like I cut, I would cut. I was a religious editor. Um, But I'd say the big difference, right, is literally just breaking down a story into its key components versus, you know, really letting it flesh out on a podcast. Even in 15 minutes, you can get far. But then I realized how much you can do with 60 seconds. I was like, this is an insane amount of time, right? Like people think it's short, but I was able to pack in so much information into it. So it was almost just taking that eye for for short form and understanding that people's attention spans are low, doing a 15 minute interview podcast, and then bringing that just one kind of division lower, one vector lower with short form. How long did it take to make the transition, like, to understand, like, what could make a viral content on TikTok versus, like, a podcast? Yeah, dude, I was having an identity crisis. I was like, people love this show. I've gotten so much kind of attention online for it, like I did. Like, I remember the reason I kind of got interested in TikTok is I saw it as a a big distribution platform for podcasts. I was like, you can put your clips on there and they'll blow Mm -hmm. up, right? So I started going hard on, on TikTok. I remember hearing my friends talking about it, and this was 2020. And I had a clip with the chief marketing officer of Chipotle. And I remember Mia Khalifa liked it. So I was like, hold on, hold on. You know, this porn star is liking my interview with the chief marketing officer of Chipotle talking about digitization in the restaurant business. If I can make a porn star interested in business, I can make an entire generation interested in business. So that was kind of a, a like awakening moment for me, right? The transition was quick. Um, <clears throat> I actually was still doing my podcast while I was making the transition into doing all these like short 60 second videos. So I kind of de-risked it and that I didn't fully jump off the thing that was bringing me some good results in life. And by the, you know, I had a video blow up. Uh, It was uh, my first video to blow up was I was like, Mark Zuckerberg is a confirmed killer. And I was like, you know, we all know billionaires have weird diets. You know, you could look at Warren Buffett. He eats at McDonald's every day. But Mark Zuckerberg is the craziest of them all. And then I went into this whole thing about how he would kill his own 
meet. We've all heard mm. this story, right? Like you saw him when he was getting interviewed by Congress for like antitrust, mm-hmm. like fucking data analytics, like bullshit, like data security. The motherfucker was smoking meats in his backyard, you know? So I don't know. People have a lot of, uh, you know, I think what I did best with our future is I brought the pop culture element to to business, right? Mm-hmm. Like I almost made it like a, a TMZ. Like that was probably my bigger inspiration than Business Insider or Morning Brew or Wall Street Journal. It was like, how do I make people interested in business by taking some of these stories and making them as accessible and interesting to as, as a wide a number of people as possible? And the, the way to achieve that is through like clickbait, intrigue, um, you know, really provocative hooks, right? Because yeah. that's what makes a, yeah. a TikTok. I mean, we talked about that last night a little bit. Just like <clears throat> the first, the first priority is entertainment. If they're not, if it's not an yes. entertaining clip, they're going to go away. Second, from there is education, information. Actually, yes. after they're hooked, teach them what they know or teach them what they need to know, and then also like the short attention spans. Right? Did that come into play? A lot absolutely, as well? dude. Absolutely. You know, it's not really a moral quandary in my in my eyes, right? Like people these days need to be tricked into being entertained. Like there's no two ways about it, right? Our attention spans are too low and as Gen Z's like information overload, you know? So how do you like smash the ice cube? That's how I think about it, right? Like you're scrolling TikTok. How do I just smash your frame, break your schema with something wild? And I promise I'm going to give you that payoff of education and entertainment, right? But I'm, I'm going to need your attention for, for 60 seconds, right? It's, it's what I need. And I, I believe I deserve it because I have a great message to share and I'm creating, you know, interesting content that people should, should be learning about. They wouldn't otherwise learn about, right? Like we've reached a billion viewers, right, with our content. Well, well, more than that now. And I think a lot of those people wouldn't have had the opportunity to, to, to learn about a business strategy or an entrepreneurship story had they not been kind of baited into it with our innovative format. And so you start out and you say it's like a drug when you see all these people that are liking your content, seeing yeah. your face. Yeah. And your face is on all the videos. But then eventually you switch from having your face on the videos. Tell me about that. Transition. Yeah. So, okay. So I always have my face in the videos for, uh, some portion, like maybe like, a you know, maybe five to 10 seconds out of the video, just like, you know, whenever there's context that needs to be made, it's like, and then he decided to do this. Right. So then my face is on camera, but then now, like after morning brew, I am just like, it's so much easier just to sit at my table and just like record into a mic than have to like shave do my hair, <laughs> go to, you know, Sampar studio and go record instead of just doing it in my, my kitchen. Uh, so it was more of like a convenience thing for me, kind of like the lazy exited founder type vibe. But I do enjoy having my face in there sometimes. But yeah, the faceless stuff actually works better um, on the hook. So I used to sometimes have my face in it when I'd say a hook and a lot of those videos perform. But what we found is people are much more likely to keep watching a video if they see like an engaging animation come up on, on screen. So yeah, it was more kind of like phased out, but yeah. you know, doesn't hurt. Talk about that for a sec. So you used to work with Sam Parr, who runs The Hustle, and then you get acquired by Morning Brew, his main competitor. Yeah, it's <laughs> pretty funny. Like? Yeah, I'm talking to him this uh, tomorrow, actually, on our own podcast interview. Uh, let's see. I was a big diehard fan of like My First Million, the podcast. Yeah. Uh, pretty inspired by them with like our new venture with, with our new Our Future podcast. Uh, and I would listen to it. I remember I actually was super inspired by Sam because I was trying to study people who had built media companies. And I was like, let me learn how he did it. So I listened to all the podcasts that he was on, like what his story was. And the first time I tried to reach out to him, I was like, hey, like, I already knew we had a lot in common. I was like, hey, like, I ride, mo- like, I was just riding a motorcycle through Utah. Like, I'm doing this media company. I've had all these cool guests. And he's like, hey, man. And he responded to my email. He's like, okay, cool. Because he, like, responds to, like, you know, he's kind of like ADHD and shit, but he, like, he responds to kids who are, like, hustlers. Yeah. Um, and at that time, he was just selling the hustle. So I wasn't able to interview him, but I ended up finding his number. Uh, I found his number off the email. Um, uh, like signature mm-hmm. off that I got off that original cold email in 2020, and then 
Anyway, fast forward, and my first million had like a viral clip contest, or like whoever can take our podcast viral on TikTok gets five grand. And I was like, oh, I can easily execute on this, right? Like I already surrounded myself with good video editors doing our future. Like I can definitely extend to this like agency service, right? Like doing it for other people. I have that core competency. Uh, so won the contest, uh, blew that shit up. I knew it would work. I was a listener to the pod. Like I knew kind of like what would blow up. Um, and then it was never like in my head, I was like, I'm never going to just get five grand and walk. Like I'm gonna turn this into a recurring revenue stream, right? Like that's my business perspective coming in and got the five grand. I had, then I had HubSpot acquire the page from me. Then I had, you know, like I, I just set up all these transactions and then I had to put them on a recurring revenue. So I would do my first millions clips, uh, for five grand a month. And then we ended up getting the entire book of HubSpot short form video library, right? So we still do that today. Um, and that's really what helped our business get to like a good chunk of recurring revenue that would, would enable us to expand this agency offering. Uh, so it was really just kind of like that first step, you know, it's just random. I just decided to listen to a podcast one day and they were having a clip contest and it changed they my do, life. Did they do clips before, before you came in? Not really. They had one agency doing it. They're actually like kind of some of our biggest competitors now. They were charging like 10 grand a month. So they were like, yeah, fuck those guys. Yeah, I mean, I see those clips all the time. I didn't know that you were the one who actually started those for MFM. Yeah, they actually took away our contract for MFM in particular. They're like, we don't actually care to grow this anymore. Like we just want an agency that's going to do it for a few grand a month because we were charging like much higher. We increased our prices. So I think it makes a lot of sense for people to say like, okay, you get a lot of views on TikTok, right? But how's that translate into now you're getting acquired by Morning Brew? Yeah, man. Where's like the business step in between yeah. where you're like, you have a business mind, you're thinking about it business, but it's not just, I'm talking about some interesting Mark Zuckerberg smoking his own meat in the backyard. Like, yeah. how does that make you make that transition from getting views to making it into a business? Right. So I never thought about this like an influencer. I thought about it as a Rupert Murdoch, right? Like that was my inspiration. Like how can I build a media company that generates enterprise value and can live on beyond me as a creator? That was what I always had to, to view in the, in the market, which was people were creating content, but it wasn't scalable. So what I did is like, I've created this format. I'm really good on camera, but I need to expand. So... Uh, I brought, I acquired another page. This was in November, 2021. I acquired another creator who was also trying to do like business videos. And that was, we able, were able to double our audience. So our growth rate went through the roof. So they had Jackson and me, like both, you know, good talking, really nerdy business guys. So we had expanded our future as Michael creating this kind of TikTok page called Our Future to a media brand that had multiple accounts across platforms, Right. This is a brand that people were seeing pop up on different pages, right? They're like, oh, that's an Our Future. So we created this second franchise called Our Future Bytes. Then we created another franchise called Our Future Finance, which my co-founder, Simi, ran. So we were able to make it look like more of a bar stool than just like one individual creator, right? Mm-hmm. And we're able to wrap all those views together and package it up and be like, this is the new way Gen Z is consuming business. A lot of it's how you pitch it, right? Like if you say you're building a media company instead of you're just an influencer, you're able to like charge higher rates to advertisers as well because the minute they hear you're a media company, not only is it more legit, but they understand that you probably have more costs than a big team and therefore you should be getting higher ad dollars. So that was the kind of positioning cheat code there. Um, but you have to remember that. So I brought on my co-founder, Simeon, the end of 2021, and he's an operational genius. So he was going to be in charge of scaling this agency division that we had gotten with my first million, this beachhead. Like we broke it into doing podcast clips for other companies and we're going to scale that service offering. So we scaled that out and that ended up driving a, a bulk of our revenue. So um, we had kind of two, two great things going for us, right? Like we were able to position ourselves as a media company, but we had this great profit center in the agency work, recurring revenue. The problem with media companies is they sell for low multiples 
and they're not that valuable because they're dependent on algorithms and, you know, look at BuzzFeed, look at Vice, whatever. Mm-hmm. Vice actually nearly bought us. Over here at Lambert's is at South by Southwest. Hilarious story. Uh, happy they didn't because they're fucking bankrupt now. But uh, we were just like so much more, right? Like we weren't just creators. Like we had a media brand and then we had this like strong revenue stream. And I think that was what was attracted to an acquirer is like, not only do we create this content, like we have a brand that's worth something and we have intellectual property, but we also have like great recurring revenues that make it advantageous for an acquirer to come in and absorb those. Interesting. So when before it was acquired by Morning Brew with Our Future, how much of the revenue was coming from ads that you guys would do with other companies just on the Instagram and TikToks versus the actual agency? And what kinds of services? Was it all just creating short form clips for other companies? Was that what the agency was? Yeah, that was mainly what it was. Like in that environment, everybody wanted to like be on TikTok. It was this like brand new, like shiny growth channel and things have definitely gotten a lot harder in that people aren't willing. And there's like a lot of agencies like came up out like competing with us. Um, but I think it was 70, 30 in terms of agency revenue to advertising revenue. Um, but we had some big advertisers, right? Like Shopify was one of our biggest advertisers. We had Warby Parker. Um, that connection came from having interviewed their CFO on my pod. So that's another like great, you know, uh, tie back to doing a podcast and meeting people is just extending that Rolodex into your next company. Um, so, so yeah, uh, you know, I think when you have a media company and like you're dependent on ads, it was like interesting to Morning Brew that this company was not only like creating content, but they can also be a weapon for other businesses, you know, you know B2B sales and it's a very high value market. So we often talk about on the podcast how like the thing you start might not be the thing that like ends up taking you to the finish line, right? So you started the podcast and then you end up with a media company that's doing an agency for TikTok and it's... Yeah. Very different than a podcast, but how did that starting there at the podcast help you get there? Was it like the things you learned through the podcast, like you seeing the market of like what people actually wanted? Take me through how like taking that first step got you started along the way. Well, I mean, we talked about, right, like doing a podcast is a cheat code in many ways. Um, you know, the main thing is that you just get to immerse yourself in a creative pursuit. So obviously competency in the Adobe suite, I'd say it was like another big up from doing the podcast and being able to extend that into a different kind of media, right? So knowing the tools that you can use to create podcasts or, you know, the skill set is quite similar to transfer over and talking, uh, doing voiceovers on TikTok, right? So that was there, uh, refining your speech, right? Like another cheat code of podcasts is you just become a better communicator in life. Um, and then just having that being in the gym, right? Being in the gym and editing a ton of content and like, studying a ton of businesses and just consuming a bunch of cool stories that I could then roll into, into the pot, into the TikTok content. Right. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was a great extension. It was a very, very natural extension into a higher leverage opportunity at that time, because if I had continued to do the podcast, I'm sure it would have grown over time, but it's a long-term play and I was looking for a quick win. And how much did you doing a business podcast and doing business content translate into like you having a business for your, your media company right? yeah. versus someone that's like a gym influencer. Like yeah. how much did you focusing on all these different businesses actually translate into? Well, tactical I, I think, I think I always saw myself as more of an entrepreneur and a CEO instead of a podcast host. So I think that was like the big difference and just like focusing on business and startups makes a lot of sense to like have the savvy to do your own business. Right. So yeah, you probably learn more than if you're like talking about macros and Bulgarian squats. Yeah. Who are some of the people you talk to on your podcast that kind of like chain had had big moments where you changed some of the like maybe perspective you had or something that you thought back on and said, yeah, that kind of changed my 
my view on things that led to me being more successful. Yeah, definitely. I think I did talk to a few like TikTok creators and just understood, you know, where that market was going. And like, I remember with the chief marketing officer of Chipotle, you know, TikTok was a huge conversation because they had just uh, given David Dobrik like the black card for like infinite Mm. Chipotle. So that was a good combo. Um, But just a lot of divergent thinking, right? Like I love learning how people started their business and you know, a lot of our futures videos hinge on like a moment where they were like, I should do things this way. They aren't being done like that. And they executed on it. Um, so there's just a lot of like good, good stories, right? Whether it was like talking to the founder of Grubhub, right? And he made an interesting point that I actually just resurfaced in one of my videos. So Mike was telling me that, you know, it was great that Grubhub started in Chicago because Chicago is the most, most like multicultural, multicultural city in America. And if you start a business in San Francisco, the odds that a tech app in San Francisco, the odds that it gets adoption in the rest of America are low because everyone there is like an early adopter. Mm-hmm. So if you can win in Chicago, you're going to win everywhere, right? So that's actually a question that VCs ask a lot. It's like, okay, I'm in, uh, if this company is winning in this like techie, you know, nerdy software engineer world, like can it actually exist in mainstream America? Uh, so that was like a, an interesting perspective. Uh, another story I love was I talked to the chief growth officer Beyond Meat, and this was a great business strategy. He was like dead set on getting Beyond Meat into the same freezer section as regular meat, right? Because for the longest time, vegan products were segmented in some, you know, sequestered in some corner of the grocery store, and he he made it so it was a true alternative, right? Like it was like this and this. It's like I can now pick. So I don't know. I just I just ate that nerdy shit up. Right. And it totally translated into like the passion for business that I take into my videos and, you know, where the knowledge comes from, but also just increasing your passion. Right. You might have a passion, but your passion will never reach its its true potential unless you're working on it every single day. So how often a week did you post and like make these videos? So we would do sometimes I do in the early days, I'd edit every single video myself. Like I had no team whatsoever. It was just like I have a format that's working. If I lock myself in my room, like the sky's the fucking limit. Like all I need is myself. So I'd make some t- sometimes two videos per day and the growth was 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 excellent. It's mm-hmm. a lot harder to grow on TikTok now. It's just more saturated. But mm-hmm. I was just early enough. I was still kind of late to TikTok, but I was just early enough to be able to build an audience pretty quick. Um, and then, you know, find Jackson. And by the time I was generating ad revenue, so my first brand deal was for like twelve fifty for four videos and it like crushed it. And then that's just the thing with like advertising. You just have to like, find one client under price over deliver and then just keep, you know, using the social proof for more advertisers to get bigger deals. Um, and then we ended up, uh, we ended up, you know, becoming an advertiser with morning brew, which generated a lot of revenue. Like they were paying $4 an email address. Like it was fucking nuts. Like I remember making 30 or 40 grand on one video, like doing that strategy. So that was a big fucking awakening moment. Like, holy shit. Like I can actually make this into a business. Um, so yeah, it's like do everything yourself until you can generate revenue. And then once you do everything yourself to generate revenue, you give away the skills that would be better served with someone else. So I hired an outsourced guy. Bobby actually helped me find him, Muhammad in Pakistan. And he was a fucking legend and he became my video editor. Um, and then I was able to focus my time on sales. Right. Mm. So like, that's how the business. So you started went. out doing everything yourself. Everything. Myself. And you're in college at full time at the time. So yes. tell me a little bit about that. So I started in the summer, but then college started and like business school is kind of a joke, you know, <laughs> but I would just, I had like, I got like a D in my finance class, dude. Like <laughs> I got a D in my finance class at Ross, but I'm the most successful person out of my business school. How funny and is that? And you're telling me Morning Brew didn't care about that. They didn't look at your resume. <laughs> I don't think they He's looked at your resume. He's got a great business, but that D, I don't know. 
I think they forgot in the due diligence process to check my report card. <laughs> That's funny. Sounds That's like they don't really care that much. It's no, cool of that not. so many of your videos were actually about like business strategy, and so you got this like fundamental knowledge of how different kinds of successful entrepreneurs have done things. And did you take a lot of that into your own business now? Like when you were creating content, did you have any kind of either guerrilla marketing strategies or yeah, yeah, yeah. fascinating stories from there? Dude, I made a great video on Portnoy. You know, another Michigan guy and incredible media founder who's built a one in a million, one in a billion media company that no one's been able to replicate with Barstool. Uh, so what Dave would do is he'd write fake advertisements in his Barstool newspapers because it existed. At, its first kind of product was a newspaper. So he put like this steakhouse. It was like, who the fuck is this steakhouse? And then he would go to their competitor and be like, hey, they're advertising. And this is a strategy I've seen so many media founders use is like we're going to use like FOMO and we're going to use like competition to get ad dollars. So I exemplified this when I worked with both The Hustle and Morning Brew on email subscription uh, traffic. So I'd make videos talking about like this brand, this sick newsletter. I'd be like, oh, like Warren Buffett reads every day. So should you subscribe to The Hustle, Mm -hmm. right? Or subscribe to Morning Brew. And I played them off each other saying I was working with both. And they were like, wow, this is like a great distribution hub. Like this kid is clearly like crushing it on TikTok and business. So I'd like play them off each other. I ended up working with both. And that's (laughs) that's what opened the doors for acquisition conversations with both. I think a lot of people are like, how do I find the ideal acquirer? Make them your customer first. That's a cheat code, right? Like we were already like intimate with them. We drove value. So it's like, okay, like let's have this conversation. So I was telling Rohan, I, I like had an Instagram following for a while. Like back in high school, I like did all the stuff to like get an Instagram following. I had like upwards of what, 50,000 followers or something. But like since then, I've just done nothing with it and like kind of it's gone down. So now I just use the Instagram page to like screw around on and see what happens. And so I was telling him like, how long do you think it would take for me to get like, say, some fitness company to sponsor me? If I just like put out fitness content, then if I could do like an A-B test of like how long would it take if I like said I had some other fitness company sponsoring me already, like I'm sponsored by Ghost when I'm not actually sponsored by Ghost, just post a bunch of stuff like me with like a Ghost (laughs) energy drink and and then I wonder how much faster it'd be between the two times to have like a quote, like already have a, some type of sponsorship when it's not actually real. Yeah, I mean, I think you can, you know, like he was talking, uh, Rohan was talking to me about like putting his own company in his newsletter, which I think was yeah. pretty funny. Like, <laughs> it's all about how do you make yourself seem more credible? Again, it's all about how you sell it, right? How you sell your content. And you just have to be comfortable with commanding value. I think that was like a hard thing for me in the early days to be like, I want eight grand for this video. But you just have to be able to like quote prices and advertising. Because again, like I get, I was telling Rohan, like most ad marketing just money down the toilet like it's pretty arbitrary so it depends you have to just build whatever you're doing into this super high value thing so like when i and i think of like sales for like what you do is like hey i'm like the only influencer that's talking about x thing for x audience right and then you've already like niched yourself down to this like very particular customer set and then i think there is an element of you have to have views like i'd say like at least 10k views are real and then you can probably start getting ad money yeah, it's like it's like you have a, to have like a talent stacking, right? Yeah, like the the thing for for short form is like how do you build an ads business on short form? For one, you have to have the follower count probably above 10, 20, 30k. And then you also have to have consistency. So, I found a format where I could consistently get, you know, anywhere between 25 and 100, you know, million views, right? And because I knew that my lowest video would still drive value for an advertiser giving them tens of thousands of views, right? I felt a lot more comfortable to be able to like ask for ads, right? So if you can just get a format that works, repeat it, 
generate views, generate a little like love from the fans, like you can totally insert an ad into that. So didn't you also like kind of get inspiration for our future from a completely different sports company that was doing something like that? And then you yeah. took that and like put a business lens on it? Well, you guys know Picasso's quote, right? It's good artists uh, copy, great artists steal. Yeah. So I saw this guy, Frank Michael Smith, who was doing sports videos and he was doing it in the exact same Our Future style. And it was so revolutionary at the time. And like no one else was doing it. I was like, fuck, like this format is cracked. Like this is the new way to educate and entertain America. That's how I saw it. And I was like, oh my God, I need to do this for business. It's like sports are cool and all, but you know, to succeed in, like, it's not very relatable. It's like, you know, to succeed in sports, you have to be born with like a certain kind of body and like maybe your parents have to push you, but anybody can be an entrepreneur. Anybody can be a billionaire. I don't care if you're five, four, you're six, five, like you can have, you know, stand on my money, you know, I'm fucking tall. (laughs) Right. So I always thought taking his style to business would be revolutionary and it worked and he was mad at me. And he wanted to sign me to be his like business creator under his like growing media network. He wanted to expand into more verticals. He wanted to go into sports and he wanted to go into to music and he wanted to go into business and he wanted to go into pop culture. And I came and I was like just copying his style and we were talking at the time and he was like, hey, I actually have to own your channel outright. And being an entrepreneur, I was like, I would never like give away all my channel. I would never, I would only do like maybe a rev share. And it was his loss because I went out and dominated and ended up with, you know, selling my business. And he actually launched a business page just to spite me, which I think was really funny. So I don't know. There's, funny. there's always going to be competition to anything that works, right? I'm and assuming after that, a ton of people tried to copy you. Tons of people, right? You know, our format ended up being kind of, you know, ground zero for a new way to make people interested in, in content, especially business, like making it entertaining, putting in graphics, animations. Now everybody does it. So, so why not be an investment banker, consultant? What made you take that first step when you're like in college and to not be like everyone else? Bro, like no one would take me into those investment banking and consulting clubs. Like, I don't know, like my personality is always being like off the cuff, you know, fake it till you make, maybe wing it, you know, crack a few jokes, be like cool, charismatic, say you're working on some big things. And I'd walk and swagger into those meetings in my fucking dad's Armani suit. And I'd sit there and they'd be like, all right, market size, how many pizzas are sold every day in America? And I'd be like... I can't do that shit. Like I'm terrible at math. <laughs> so they wouldn't take me. I couldn't get in. Like my re- they were like rejecting me at the front door with my resume. I was like, dude, these are fucking college clubs. I'm like, I'm obsessed with business. I'm the man. And I had tried to get into these business frats too and they wouldn't take me. So it was almost like it almost just felt easier to do my own thing than like try and do try and do one of those established routes. Like that's honestly how it felt. Wow. They're lost. And so once you decided like, okay, well maybe this isn't for me, what's how do you find people to be around that are on the same yeah. path or how do you, how do you go around that? Yeah. I mean, I got lucky like with my, you know, kind of like boys and like, I actually went to college with my best friend from high school. So we were very entrepreneurial in high school as well. We do like deck of competitions, make pitch decks. Um, and actually my first company idea was this company called Pythia research. And I was working on it for like a year. Uh, it was a data brokerage services between service between businesses and professors on college campuses. Cause I felt like business school professors weren't doing enough work with actual companies. I was like, that seems like a mismatch. So I would go and spend my time, you know, all my friends were doing their clubs and in their frats and like in their organizations. And I was kind of lonely, honestly, but I was like, I had a chip on my shoulder and I wanted to make something of myself and I wanted to do something with my time. So I would literally just spend my, you know, days and weekends like going and knocking on doors at my college's like academic department and being like, what are your problems? How can I help solve them? And I actually got close with brokering one deal between like an electric skateboard company and this professor at like Cal State. Um, But I just didn't have the heft or like the credibility to be like brokering data, like as a freshman in college. 
So that business never really worked. I actually think someone took that idea and brought it to Y Combinator, which is really interesting. And that maybe I could have pulled it off with a little more resources and a little more time. Um, but then COVID hit and I uh, didn't really have anything lined up. So my dad's, my friend's dad, who runs like a publication in our local tech community, was like, will you write an article about the state of venture capital post-COVID? And he let me interview like three local venture capitalists, gave me their email. And I was just like in heaven talking to these people. Like it wasn't even recorded, but I was just going to turn it into a piece of content and then people could consume. And that's when I put the two and two together that I want to have these conversations and then put them out to the world to listen to. Mm. Right. But yeah, I mean, I was trying to work on things and, and make shit move right early on. And I think a lot of people like scoffed at me. Like I felt kind of rejected that I wasn't in these business and, and you know, consulting clubs and prestigious kind of social events. Right. Um, but I still had kind of a loyal troop, but you know, in the second semester, like I, I felt particularly lonely, right? Like going my own way, beating to my own drum, but it's almost like those moments of, of loneliness and like despair as if no one's, there's not a single person I don't think that's cried in their freshman dorm room. You know, like I just, I believe that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, it almost just incentivized me and like put the fuel in my fire to prove everybody wrong. And I did right. Like youngest member of Forbes 30 under 30 in the media category, I outperformed all my peers. And I think it was because I had that drive in my belly to, to go and, and do something different, you know? So you're telling me that the consulting clubs at rock aren't, <laughs> aren't what make you successful. I mean, maybe bro. I think it's just the, it just, I think it was just being in that position of someone being able to judge me in 15 minutes, right. About how qualified I am to be in a role or be in a community. Like, I think it was no one, no one can, Ever like I never want that to happen again, where my value can be like very quickly uh, ascribed a value, to, like ascribed a number to, and I would never ever be in that situation again. My work would speak for itself, and I would be untouchable, and that's what I wanted to do. I never ever wanted to be in that situation again. Never, <laughs> I know, dude. I never wanted to be in a room and like have have like people be like, okay, like prove yourself to me. Never, never. We'll never people, again. I now. want people to know who I am and what I do. You know, I want my reputation to perceive me. So after the rejections from the business rats or consulting clubs, what was the timeline of when you actually started that podcast and got into this media game? Freshman year. So that was 2018 and 2019. And then the podcast didn't come until the end of my sophomore year. So 2020 when COVID hit. That's when the podcast started because bro, I don't know what was going on in my head, bro. I was just like, I was having these like visions of grandeur. Like when COVID hit, I was like, Dude, for some reason, COVID made me super happy. Like, my parents made me, like, isolate. But I was like, holy shit. Like, I'm going to make the best use of this time ever. It was like, it was almost because, like, I didn't have that good of a social experience in my first two years of college. I was like, well, now nobody can have social experiences, so I'm going to win. <laughs> <laughs> right? So I was like, I can just, I, like, oh, dude, I was getting, dude, I dropped probably, like, 20 pounds of fat um, from when I got sent home from COVID in two months. So I was looking fantastic. I was doing hot Pilates every day and I was just, you know, I got on this podcast train and I was just like, holy shit, people are actually responding to my, my emails. I set up like a, uh, I grabbed the alumni magazine at Ross and I, I emailed every single person and I got like a ton of interviews and I was like mind blown. Like, I think it was, it was cool. One reason why I was motivated is I, I felt finally that my peers were seeing me. Like I had more and more Michigan people started to follow the podcast like even like sorority girls. <laughs> now, so, you know, it's, it's funny as fuck, right? Like, you know, I, I felt noticed and I felt like I was doing something different. And I remember I had friends who were actually like quite jealous of after, after I started it. They're like, that's something I totally wish I could do 
but I never did it. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting you said it takes like to you almost a year to find like, okay, this is where I start now. Whereas you get to college and it's like everyone does the same stuff. It's really easy to be like, okay, you join this consulting club, you go do this yeah, regimented this social job, right? interaction. Yeah. And so I guess it's just an interesting thing to point out that when you go do your own thing, it's not quite as simple or easy, but in the end, it can be much better. Right? Yeah. So we, Absolutely. we were recently talking to a friend who his, his business is, he's like 23 and now does like $20 million a year. And he now has to conceal his identity a little bit in some ways because he fears people will like use him for that or take advantage of him or things like that. You're now all like everything that you've put online is now out in the public for everyone to see. Do you feel like that's ever been an issue or something where like you feel like people try to use you for what you've been able to accomplish or anything like that? You know, I don't know about being used necessarily. I think what's more interesting is to see the people that wrote you off, like start to hit you up and like congratulate you or swipe up on your stories. It's like the small things, right? It's like that small awareness of oh now this person's cool and shit like now we're gonna like treat them like an equal or like now we're gonna like try and you know be friends with them i think that's probably the most interesting um but no i don't wouldn't necessarily say i've had people like i mean maybe like when you're out at dinner like people are just it is interesting once you get make money is like you never want to be in a position where like you know you pay for your boys for dinner once and then like they expect you to do it every time i think that's another interesting thing Right. So it's important not to be like overly generous because people will just become to accept that as like the standard like, oh, like he's he's wealthy, like he should pay for everything. I think that's another interesting note. Right. So you just want to make make sure everything's still on an equal keel and you're still asking people for Venmo requests and stuff. You know, like you you don't want to be you don't want to be treated differently. Right. Yeah. So, okay, based on everything we've talked about, I think my mic's off. Mine also feels like it's off. I think we're broken. Maybe we've recorded for too long. It's not even recording. Anyways. (laughs) No, it is. All right. Well, I'll just talk loud enough that anyone can hear, hopefully. But I guess based on the conversation we had today, what would be one thing that you would tell someone that was in your position freshman year, getting uh, rejected from the things they thought they wanted to do? What would they could they do in the net like after listening to this podcast where they can actually implement in their life and get to a better place? Yeah, so I'd say the big lesson would be never ever let your external environment dictate your value, right? Like never ever let yourself fall into a hierarchy or system wherein you have like no control over your upward mobility or what you can do. Like just never let your outside environment because oftentimes you'll find when you're young and like you're like us and you're entrepreneurs, your external environment will not match your potential or your abilities. And that's just because of like how things work, right? Like you know, like people like us, like we probably weren't like the high school quarterback, right? Like we thrive after college, like we fucking build businesses and get rich, right? So our time and to shine and like really be figures and, you know, the, the top dogs in society actually comes after those formative moments of high school and college. So I think I would understand that and take that into account and that it takes time to like build something to stand above all. Um, but I would say just like find find a skill and like just start getting and it doesn't even need to be like a business, like just find a, like a, a vital creative pursuit, right? Like say you want a job in X industry, right? Like create a newsletter, like create a podcast in that space. If you're really passionate about it, like, you know, become a magnet for opportunity in that specific industry. 
that's like a very easy way to go about it. Like you don't need any skills like to start a podcast or write or do TikTok. Like you learn them, but anybody can pick up their phone and do it, right? So that's one way. Creating content and media is like the best way to leverage yourself up for a, for, for a career, whether it's finding an opportunity, finding a cool startup to work at, uh, coming into a business idea of your own. It's like a great nexus point. It's like, I don't have a great idea. Like I want to stand out. I want to win. Like I feel like my environment's not matching up to like my potential. And like, let me just like get started with something. And I think- that door is always open for you. I'd say there's another angle in that, you know, maybe you just want to like get a business off the ground, right? So for me, like I didn't know how to code. I wasn't a tech guy, but like I had the skills to do media. But what you can also do is like do some kind of agency. And I think that's some of the best businesses for young people to start. Like they're a little hard to scale, but they're really easy to get off the ground in cash flow. So whatever skill you have, maybe you learned it in high school. Maybe you're just like good at this or that. You're good at sales. Like figure out something that you can sell to businesses as a service, Service-based businesses are the best businesses for young people to start. And if you can just leverage, so the only thing you need to do to start an agency is have like one skill, have one person willing to pay you, and then the minute you get paid, you can hire a team and you can delegate and you can scale your clients, right? And that's a route that so many entrepreneurs have taken. That's why Iman Godzi is as big as he is. He has a course, having people set up their social media marketing courses, right? Mm -hmm. So it really is a low-lift business to start. But I would say just... Find something, if you are lost and you don't feel accepted and you do feel like you're you're kind of drifting in the wind, just fill your time. Don't hang out in despair. Like do something, you know, work on something like write, like create, move shit, right? Get your voice out there. Uh, try different things, right? Fill your time full of experimentation and work. And it doesn't matter what that work is. And you don't you don't need to know where it's going, but... If you can just focus your time on something that you enjoy and you find exciting and that maybe you can think can make money, then then I think it's a great and worthy use of, of your time. So a lot of people who kind of had that idea of like, okay, well, I want to start an agency since there's such a low barrier to entry. Such a low barrier. They get concerned that since it's a low barrier to entry for them, it's a low barrier to entry for everyone. So it's super saturated and there's a lot of yeah. competition. How would you respond to that? I mean, look, look at the auto automotive industry, right? Like it's called monopolistic competition and that even though it's a very competitive market, there's dozens, if not hundreds of automakers and brands, um, you know, there's certain intangibles like a BMW is the ultimate driving machine, right? It might be their history, their engineering, you know, certain features on the car that other cars don't have. Um, so I would look at it in that way and that there's a ton of cars out on the road, but there's still a c- insane amount of price premium that can go to a certain quality player on the market, right? Like, or you can be kind of like the Toyota and serve as many clients as possible at a low rate. That's another business strategy. It's just, I think the easier one is to go premium and have a, high, a lower number of customers uh, with a higher average deal size, right? So that's how I look at it. And it makes sense to you guys, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Right? Like you can still be sufficiently differentiate yourself in a very, very competitive market because um, there's room for everybody. Like, dude, there's so many agencies. Like I wouldn't worry, I wouldn't worry about that. Positive. Someday. What's next for you? So I want to build another business after Morning Brew. I have 18 months around, like maybe 17 now, until I can leave the company. Not like I'm, I enjoy the work I'm doing. It's chill, but you know, two years, two years as an employee, I think is enough for me. Um, I want to build another massive company. Like, sorry, not another. Our future wasn't that big, but I want to build a massive company. I want to build a billion dollar company. And I want to be a serial entrepreneur. Like I want to build and sell multiple businesses. Like maybe my next business or the business after that will be one I run for like many, many, many years. Maybe it goes public. I think I do low-key have a dream of taking a company public. Um, I just want to 
I, I read uh, Stephen Schwartzman's biography recently. Uh, he's the king of private equity. And he says, big, big goals and small goals are equally easy to achieve because they're both really hard. Like it's a little paradoxical. But make sure you pick something that's worthy of your time. Like my next opportunity, like being doing our future and like it was like a quick win and it was awesome. But like the ceiling on that was small, was low. I want to pick a space where I can spend five to 10 years in it and I'm really working towards an outcome that's life-changing, right? Like that's that's what I should be spending my time on is something that can can give outsized returns. So I want to go after a market. I want to be aggressive. I want to go after incumbents. And I'm also really inspired by Richard Branson going after all these boring ass industries and like bringing his own touch to it. So, you know, still have the chip on my shoulders, still feel like I have a lot to prove. And things are good. I know things will be easier in the beginning, right? Like being able to convince investors now to have an exit or just having the credibility that I do. But I want to, I want to, I don't want a ceiling on the next thing, right? So what are some of those ideas of industries or places? Any idea yet or still open? Dude, I'm still thinking like doing this podcast with Simi where we study young entrepreneurs and we're doing a segment now where we just try and come up with, you know, free ball business ideas based on like what these kids did. Um, a couple of ideas. I wouldn't say I'm married to any of these, but I've just been thinking about. Um, one is a credit card for college students. I think it would be really interesting. Like I didn't have a credit card till I was 22. And I actually think I had one when I was 18, but I didn't know how credit worked. And I maxed it out and ended up getting my credit score fucked when I was like 18. So I'd love to do a credit card for college students. Um, I'd like to target it towards international um, kids. Like these rich Chinese and Indian kids are coming in American universities. Because they have a lot of like they're spending a lot of money, right? Um, and then have their parents secure the card so there's no risk um, to the issuer, like me. Um, and then it would be cool to see these network effects on different college campuses of like those wealthy business school students all having the same card, like you know, like the Amex of college campuses. I think it's an opportunity. Uh, another one I think I think that could crush is a meal prep company focused on young urban professionals. So consultants at Bain, like, you know, investment bankers who are busy, they don't have the time to cook. They're spending way too much money eating out. I know DoorDash. So if I could come up with a meal prep company like HelloFresh, but it's branded around young men, it's got like, you know, that really good branding and it's big portions with tasty foods, I think would crush. My biggest problem with meal prep companies is the portions are tiny. Like, and it's all for people who are trying to lose weight and shit. Like it's these dinky little like vegan keto fucking like frozen meals. Like, let me get the boys some big foods, like, you know, big veggie, big meat, big, big potato, right? And stock the fridge for like a, a really great meal, you know, after your busy day at work. So I think that could crush as well. But I think working with physical goods is kind of difficult. That's why I the fintech play might be kind of more interesting. But there's just two ideas I came up with in literally 10 minutes. So I'm, I'm excited to be, I'm excited to ideate more. It's so funny. Yesterday we were talking about how like back in high school, if we had some business idea, we wouldn't even tell our friends or our business teacher because yeah, yeah. we're like, oh my God, like, no, you got to sign an NDA. Like, this is my idea. You're going to go steal it. And now you just told like the full strategy for two business plans on a podcast. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's funny all about that execution, changes. bro. Yeah. yeah, exactly. There's plenty of ideas out there. There's a million ways. There's to a million money. good ideas. There's very few people who know how to execute. That's what differentiates businesses. It's the people. But I also think this building in public thing is I've seen businesses on Twitter and people are public about their numbers and people come in and copy them. It's like maybe you shouldn't give away all your secrets, but I think just the idea in itself is is well enough. It's like, you know, it's just chill. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. What's one thing you'd want to leave the audience with in terms of just how do you make decisions that go against the grain of what society tells you is like the right decision? And how do you find that courage? How do you find the courage? I think I'd, I'd answer that part is 
I think some of the greatest founders are really good at manufacturing conflict, right? So manufacturing motivation through some means, right? Um, you know, just being kind of like maniacal about something. Like maybe you didn't have it that bad. Like I wouldn't say like I was depressed or anything like when that stuff happened to me in freshman year, really. But I used it and bottled it up to my advantage. So anything that's like you've struggled with or that's like hurt you, like put that shit in a bottle, like a bottle and shit will be lightning. You know what I mean? Like use that as a fire under your ass and just like put it in that place and use it to drive you. And I think it can take you a long way. Maybe it's like a little negative that you're like taking a bad experience to drive you to build a business. But, you know, I think motivating yourself just out of the blue can be hard, right? So just find a reason to, to win. Manufacture a reason to win. Manufacture a reason to defy the odds. You know what I mean? Even if everybody was still like still fuck with you and like really wasn't was still trying to see you win, like pretend that they're not. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Anything to make it work. But thank you, Michael. This has been absolutely incredible. So happy you came on and glad we were able to meet yesterday and best of luck with everything in the future. Thank you, boys. Really appreciate it. Killing yeah, it. Man.